Chapter 19 My Master in Calcutta Appears in Serampur. This is page 184 if you have a book to follow along. I am often beset by atheistic doubts, yet a torturing surmise sometimes haunts me. May not untapped soul possibilities exist? Is man not missing his real destiny? if he fails to explore them. These remarks by Dijen Babu, my roommate at the Panthi boarding house. Let's just take a moment. Swamiji would often recommend that in any sound that you hear, just close your eyes and try to tune into the sound of Om behind it. And so we get a lot of opportunities at the ashram to just close our eyes and really try to tune into the sound of Om in the crows, in these helicopters, in each other. And so if ever you feel there's a sound that's a little disturbing to you, if you just close your eyes and try to get to the heart of that sound, you'll start seeing that in fact it can become so absorbing, so meditative that the very distraction becomes a means for you to kind of go into that silence. These remarks by Dijen Babu, my roommate at the Panthi boarding house, were called forth by my invitation that he meet my guru. <clears throat> I'm sure all of us go through these thoughts, don't we? I was raised an atheist, I believe I've mentioned several times before, <laughs> um, because it just helps me kind of tune into my journey to think about uh, you know, life as absolutely, I don't know if the right word is meaningless, but with no clear purpose. You know, if we're here, we'll somehow, you know, do something and we'll get out of this show, not knowing what the, any of that means. But every one of us somewhere deep inside holds this hope, right? I mean, no matter what your disposition is, uh, spiritual or not, religious or not, there's something inside of us that every day we hope, I hope this, you know, accounts for something. I hope there's a greater purpose. I know I can experience more than I'm experiencing. I know that bliss, in fact, is my true nature because that's what I'm seeking in everything that I do. I'm looking for that happiness and I keep, no matter how many walls I hit, no matter how many disappointments I experience, I still keep looking for that happiness and I still keep kind of pushing myself and all of us of course that definition of happiness comes to us through so many different experiences but the bottom line of that experience has always been the same and so of course Vijayan Babu as well like all of us is just you know wondering even though I often don't believe that there's a higher power I'm not always aware of the fact that there must be something magical going on yet somewhere inside me I always wonder, am I missing something? Am I not fulfilling some destiny that's just amazing and overwhelmingly great? Am I missing something out? And that, in fact, that very question awakens in so many of us, the spiritual search. Sri Yukteswarji will initiate you into Kriya Yoga, I replied. It calms the dualistic turmoil by a divine inner certainty. Those are powerful words, that divine inner certainty. Yesterday we were 
having a conversation and one of our friends here um, was talking about different questions that come online and one of the question was how do you know if you're making the right choice <laughs> and another friend of us says that's the question <laughs> if only somebody could answer that question for me and there is no answer for these questions there is you can't just tell somebody well you see this is if you only do this you'll know everything for a certainty no you just have to have that certainty and that's all you have to develop that certainty there is nothing for certain because every pathway is is true and correct because the universe will respond to that particular choice the universe isn't looking for us to make right choices the universe is just going to re kind of direct itself to then write the story from that choice onwards and so that certainty doesn't come from knowing what to do that certainty comes from knowing that everything you do is going to be responded to in kind and then you start making those choices that you want the responses to you no longer make choices that you know that you know will lead to the same suffering the same confusion the same doubt the same process that you've just been at all this while so that divine certainty is really what all of us are looking for because other than that we really don't know what any of this is about i mean every morning we wake up and most of us are like all right let's see what you know what today turns out to be but having no clear understanding of why today even exists the way it exists and that certainty in fact is what we're all looking for isn't it i like this answer that yogananda ji gave to his fellow devotee disciple like almost saying you are never going to find a satisfactory answer intellectually given by any of you know any self realized master the only solution the only answer that you me and everyone is looking for is within you and that's the world that we need to keep exploring and diving deep into because no real no matter how fabulous um, fantastic answer can be given to us with words can satisfy the soul's yearning for happiness and bliss and this is something that only can be experienced it cannot be talked about you you cannot yogananda ji gave this example you cannot know and taste the flavor of an orange by someone telling you explaining you you know it has this color it tastes bitter sweet this that sour until you eat and taste that orange you won't know what you are even really looking for so i love this answer because yogananda ji is implying you have to do something you have to practice some technique that will take you to the essence of who you are and what you are really really looking for i just love that because he's really saying just find something that will take you within and just inside you inside you lies every answer to every question <laughs> should we stop right here and ask everybody to go inside why not <laughs> wouldn't that be lovely if we could just do that oh okay i have this question boom <laughs> but some of us are still a little defendant even on the outside hopefully to be inspired to go further within 
That evening, the Jain accompanied me to the hermitage. In Master's presence, my friend received such spiritual peace that he was soon a constant visitor. The trivial preoccupations of daily life are not enough for man. Wisdom, too, is a native hunger. Isn't that beautifully put? Mm -hmm. Wisdom, too, is a native hunger. It's just, it's not enough. The money is not enough. The pleasures aren't enough. The, you know, comforts aren't enough. The relaxation isn't enough. The entertainment is enough. The entertain, the relationships. relationships are not enough. Wisdom, too is a native hunger that deep desire to know that itself is such a driving force inside all of us in Sri Yukteswar's words the Jain found an incentive to those attempts that's what we were talking about isn't it we need an incentive to make that effort otherwise it's just we'll just keep going we'll just keep going hoping one day somebody will spoon-feed the answers to us. But nobody's going to do that. Not even your own guru will spoon-feed anything to you. He will only incentivize your own desire to go within. And what are those attempts? First, painful. <laughs> then, effortlessly liberating. To locate a realer self within his bosom, than the humiliating ego of a temporary birth, seldom ample enough for the spirit. Let's just read that again, the full sentence. In Sri Yukteswar's words, the Jin found an incentive to those attempts, first painful, then effortlessly liberating, to locate a realer self within his bosom than the humiliating ego of a temporary birth, seldom ample enough for the spirit. I love the way that he just talks about to locate a realer self. He's not saying necessarily to locate the highest self. But the process of meditation on the spiritual path is locating the next realer self. And then locating the next realer self. And every meditation we get just a little bit closer to the realest self. But we're never going to get there unless we make this daily effort. And I love how he puts it. First, painful. Then, effortlessly liberating. Many of us are not at the effortlessly liberating part. We're still on the painful part. The pain of, oh, okay, I have to meditate. You know, still every morning, there's this, all right, I'm going to do this. It's not just like, da -da -bum 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 -bum. you know, it just... We're still fighting against the not-so-real self who has such a hold on us. And that not-so-real self, Yogananda calls the humiliating ego of a temporary birth. Seldom ample enough for the spirit. That's where we started from. All of us believe we are far greater than we are. I mean, there's just this idea inside us that... Actually, if only somebody knew my potential, if only somebody saw me for who I really am. We all believe that we have so much more to offer than sometimes we're actually able to offer. But that memory comes from somewhere. That memory comes from an actual experience where we were that enormous infinite potential. And so now it's quite humiliating for us 
to be in these tiny little egos, trapped in these little bodies, <laughs> thinking ki yehi sab chal raha hai, having to kind of express ourselves so badly through words because we're unable to even bring out of ourselves and, who we and are. And learning through pain. I mean, it's just like unfortunate. Yeah. Sometimes that we need those painful experiences and those mistakes and be just so making awful decisions just so we can learn one single lesson. Mm. And that's what the consciousness of ego brings in our lives. It, it, it makes us believe that we have to behave in this particular way in order to be happy, that we need to run behind those things because only then we will receive, you know, the, the bliss we are looking for. I mean, it's like when we are reborn, we carry that. That's the, the consciousness of the ego that, that makes us feel trapped in these temporary experiences and then we really forget what's the purpose of our lives and uh, and i wanted to bring that concept out that once i think was was a disciple who asked yoganandaji why we don't you know we, we don't remember we are just you know, our essence is eternal bliss. And he says something about, because we have not suffered enough. Mm -hmm. What's that? Swamiji it, said that. Yeah, could you share that? It's a beautiful... <laughs> yeah, it's a little <laughs> uh, confusing mm -hmm. because people kind of think of the spiritual path as the opposite of suffering, which it is. And somebody asked why there aren't more people kind of on the spiritual path, aware of the fact that in fact this is what we're looking for. And Swamiji said, because we've not suffered enough yet. And each of us have come to this realization through not necessarily suffering as we would think of it as like, oh, you know, I had an accident or somebody betrayed me or something. But that suffering from deep inside that finally says, this can't be it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's real suffering in that thought. When, when you're trapped in, you know, in a place where you are 100% sure this is not my reality. And that suffering is like being in that concentration camp. Mm -hmm. And no, nobody's necessarily torturing us or making our lives, you know, harder than it, it just generally is. But still, you're trapped there and you know you can't escape and this is going to be it forever, you know. Uh, Swamiji said, that is hell. Mm -hmm. To be trapped in an ego for eternity, that is hell. And that is what we're trying to escape, <laughs> that hellish experience. Not because life is uh, so disappointing, not because life isn't beautiful, not because there isn't so many beautiful things to experience. Mm -hmm. It's just it's being experienced in such a limited, tiny, insignificant way. That's the hard part. When we look at a beautiful sunset, there's only so much we can receive from it. When, there's, when you know and that aspiration from that sunset wants you to experience something more, but we're only able to receive such a tiny aspect of it. And then imagine a billion sunsets taking place across a billion different galaxies in the universe. I think that's one of the things that I love the most about meditation. It gives you that consciousness of not being trapped mm. in this particular personality 
living this particular lifestyle, being married with this particular person, doing this particular job. It's like all those self-definitions that we think we are suddenly vanished in meditation. And you can keep connecting and remembering who you truly are. Can you imagine if you can bring that consciousness of your meditation into everything you do, we will have no fear, not you know, being afraid to do things in particular ways because we know we are not going to be judged. We will regain that self-confidence and that knowledge that we can do this. The power of the universe is within us and we can just move mountains to make this happen. And I really want to encourage each one of us to take our meditation practices as the greatest weapon that God has given us, that the Guru has given us, because he wants for us to keep reminding us, guys, I mean, have you forgotten who you truly are? I mean, why are you complaining because this is not happening? I mean, I mean, have you forgotten? the power that lies within you. And that's what meditation brings. I mean, that's an incentive. I mean, a, a big enough of incentive to want to meditate, to really remember who you are. And then everything that you do throughout the day carries that consciousness. That's magnetic. That's powerful. That's empowering. So think twice uh, how you can really break through the unwillingness to meditate daily because we are missing a big part of the purpose of our life, which is really remembering who we are. Jane and I got into the habit of walking together to the ashram as soon as our classes were over. We would often see Sri Yukteswar standing on his second floor balcony, welcoming our approach with a smile. These little descriptions are just beautiful to kind of close our eyes and visualize and to use them also in your meditations to connect more deeply with these masters. Just walking towards Sri Yukteswar, seeing him on the second floor balcony, seeing him smiling at you. These, these descriptions aren't like just thrown in there to piece stories together. They're also just helpful for us to tune into how the Guru was kind of awaiting the disciples, what were their lifestyles like, where were they kind of physically placed, and it gives us a better way for us also to tune into them visually. One afternoon, Kanai, Kanai, I imagine, a young hermitage resident met Dijain and me at the door with disappointing news. Master is not here. He was summoned to Calcutta by an urgent note. The following day, I received a postcard from my guru. I shall leave Calcutta Wednesday morning, he had written. You and the Jain meet the 9 o'clock train at Serampur station. About 8.30 on Wednesday morning, so the train's at 9, a telepathic message from Sri Yukteswar flashed ins insistently to my mind. I am delayed. 
don't meet the nine o'clock train. Wouldn't be lovely if we get such clear <laughs> messages. Those like, slashes <laughs> more often. Insistently, this telepathic message flashed into my mind. I am delayed. Don't meet the nine o'clock train. I conveyed the latest instructions to the Jain, who was already dressed for departure. You and your intuition. My friend's voice was edged in scorn. I prefer to trust Master's written word. I shrugged my shoulders and seated myself with quiet finality. Muttering angrily, the Jin made for the door and closed it noisily behind him. As the room was rather dark, I moved nearer to the window overlooking the street. The scant sunlight suddenly increased to an intense brilliancy in which the iron-barred window completely vanished. Against this dazzling background appeared the clearly materialized figure of Sri Yukteswar. Bewildered to the point of shock, I rose from my chair and knelt before him. I love how Yogananda's discipleship is just so strong. No matter what, the Guru is... You know, the moment the Guru appears, the most instantaneous, natural thing, there's no, if the Guru is there, the most natural, obvious thing would be to do whatever, let whatever go and just fall to his feet. It's just a very, very sweet kind of uh, image to hold again in our minds. With my customary gesture of respectful greeting at my Guru's feet, I touched his shoes. These were a pair familiar to me of orange dyed canvas sold with rope. Again, these beautiful little descriptions. His ochre swami cloth brushed against me. I distinctly felt not only the texture of his robe, but also the gritty surface of the shoes and the pressure of his toes within them. Too much astounded to utter a word, I stood up and gazed at him questioningly. I was pleased that you got my telepathic message. Master's voice was calm, entirely normal. I have now finished my business in Calcutta and shall arrive in Serampore by the 10 o'clock train. As I still stared mutely, Sri Yukteswar went on. This is not an apparition, but my flesh and blood form. I have been divinely commanded to give you this experience, rare to achieve on earth. Meet me at the station. You and the Jen will see me coming toward you, dressed as I am now. I shall be preceded by a fellow passenger, a little boy carrying a silver jug. So, of course, you can see this little Leela playing out. Sri Yukteswar kind of... <laughs> Spelling it out for, you know, Yogananda as if uh, Yogananda himself doesn't know. But the beauty here is, I have been divinely commanded to give you this experience. And that itself is such a beautiful and powerful statement. None of us are yet <laughs> ready or prepared enough to receive these divinely commanded experiences, are we? We keep hoping we are and we keep... Um, to a certain degree, sort of affirming, I think I'm ready, I don't know why God hasn't come to me yet. 
but if we are even a little aware of our own kind of process, our spiritual realities going on inside us, we'll realize that uh, we're not really ready. The first step here was Sri Yukteswar sending out that telepathic message. Because Yogananda caught that telepathic message, it was then and only then that Sri Yukteswar was able to take it a step further. So again, it just brings us to this process of the spiritual path, which isn't this great jump towards divine consciousness. It is the experiencing of your realer self. You know, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And if we're not yet able to pick up on certain intuitive messages that the masters are constantly sending, just all the time, we, constant, we think of them as, you know, if I call upon you, perhaps, maybe, if you might just come and tell me what to do. All of that's just complete nonsense. That information, the guidance from the masters is constant. It never stops. It never is interested in your next step. It is forever with you, guiding you, except that our inability to receive the guidance keeps us like, where are you? What are you doing? Why aren't you here in my time of need? So on and so forth. And so test one was just, was Yogananda able to? Now, where does that guidance come from? How was Yogananda able to tune into it? Of course, a little explanation will be given further on. But it's because of that perfect attunement with his guru. And that perfect attunement doesn't mean that he's always doing what his guru wants. He's just always thinking about his guru. He's just always with his guru. So if you're always with somebody, then they're going to talk to you. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're not with them, <laughs> then they can't speak to you. So if we can just get to the point where we're always with our guru, our guide, our divine, you know, whatever source of inspiration, then that voice just becomes a natural thing. Then it's not like, okay, I need an intuitive guidance. Now I'm going to sit and I'm going to do these, you know, X, Y, and Z steps and then see whether or not this is true intuition or is this just my desire playing out? I mean, all that stuff. I mean, that's the long route. The short route is just be with your guru. Because if you're with him, then he's going to converse with you. I'd like to bring another point here of this story because the only thing that Sri Yudeshwar told Yogananda Ji is, I'm not going to be there at nine. He didn't say anything else. He didn't give him the complete information. He just gave him a very small portion of it. The first information was, I'm not going to be there at night, at nine. And what Yogananda did, he didn't become all restless. He didn't, you know, okay, let me do something else. Let me call, let me find out. He just sat there quietly and he didn't move and he didn't act until he heard the second piece of information. I have finished now what I was doing. I will reach now at 10 a.m., 10 p.m. And, and I like that gap of information 
because that's how sometimes the Guru works with us. He doesn't give us all at once what we're supposed to be doing or how we need to do it. He just gives us first a hint for us to, to digest that information, to pause a little bit, to just set ourselves in the right state of mind and energetically to keep receiving the next information that will keep move us, moving us to you know, the right course of action. So sometimes it will happen that, that we will receive just only the first step of what we need to do, but we won't be able to see the three, four, five steps ahead. So it's going to be good for us to, to start developing that kind of relationship of, I'm willing to wait for the next piece of information. For now, I'm good with it. I'm going to see where it's going to take me. And that's the kind of state of mind that we need to develop in order for the Guru to keep throwing information and the direction that he's hoping for each one of us will take to take us to our right destiny according to our own karma, according to our own dharma. That is very important for us to keep that state of mind still. Even when we don't know what's next, for me that's the beauty of this paragraph. Yogananda didn't know what he's supposed to be doing, but he just waited just for perhaps, I don't know, I think this is about half an hour, 45 minutes until he received the next instruction for his guru. So see if this is something that sometimes we need to be aware of and, and be patient with the guru because every information that comes to us, it's at the right time. And, and it's in order for us to prepare the soil of our mind to be ready to really allow the Guru to plant those thoughts so they can blossom in, in the form of a, the right activity, the right connection, the right phone call, the right intuition to go to that place and to meet this other person. But don't rush into it. Allow the Guru to guide you. My Guru placed both hands on my head with a murmured blessing. As he concluded with the words, Tobeashi, I heard a peculiar rumbling sound. And here in the footnote, Yogananda writes, the characteristic sound of dematerialization of bodily atoms. <laughs> As if we would know what that is. Oh, it's the usual sound that when the bodily atoms dematerialize, this is the sound that comes. Just in case next time you hear a rumbling sound, you can kind of relate it to this. His body began to melt gradually within the piercing light. First his feet and legs vanished, then his torso and head, like a scroll being rolled up. To the very last, I could feel his fingers resting lightly on my hair. The effulgence, effulgence faded. Nothing remained before me but the barred window and a pale stream of sunlight. I remained in a half-stupor of confusion, questioning whether I had not been the victim of a hallucination. 
a crestfallen Dijain soon entered the room. Master was not at the nine o'clock train, nor even the 9.30. My friend made his announcement with a slightly apologetic air. Come then, I know he will arrive at 10 o'clock. I took Dijain's hand and rushed him forcibly along with me, heedless of his protests. In about 10 minutes, we entered the station where the train was already puffing to a halt. The whole train is filled with light of Master's aura. He is here, I exclaimed joyfully. Isn't that beautiful? Mm -hmm. He could even recognize the particular vibration, the particular light that his guru carried and just knew this train is definitely, it fills with my Master's aura. It has, he has to be here. And Dijain, of course, you dream so. Let us wait here, I told my friend, the details of the way in which our guru would approach us. As I finished my description, Sri Yukteswar came into view, wearing the same clothes I had seen a short time earlier. He walked slowly in the wake of a small lad bearing a silver jug. For a moment, a wave of cold fear passed through me at the unprecedented strangeness of my experience. I felt the materialistic 20th century world slipping from me. Was I back in the ancient days when Jesus appeared before Peter on the sea? This is not just, to a certain degree, Yogananda kind of of metaphorically trying to bring these two lives together. Once when Swami Kriyananda, as a young disciple, as a monk at Yogananda's ashram, Yogananda was explaining the life of Christ and talking, saying that the three wise men who came to Christ on his birth were Babaji, Sri Yukteswar and Lahiri Mahashaya in a previous incarnation, of course. And so Swamiji asked Yogananda, Sir, were you Jesus? Were you Christ? And Yogananda just says, what difference would it make? He never dismissed it fully, but... Just reading this, you know, I, these little things just disappear from your mind because you don't think of them as, you know, really important. But just rereading this now just makes me feel somehow almost as if uh, Yogananda was transported to a previous life memory of his own with Sri Yukteswar, with Jesus, with Peter, that same relationship of guru-disciple and how the guru would approach the disciple so miraculously. In fact, it will be nice for all of us to, if you have a Bible or if not, maybe you can Google it, to read that particular episode. Mm. I mean, what happened there? What, what are the uh, layers, the insights also, in the miracle that Jesus did, you know, walking on the water? What was that? That was, what was um, the reason of, of Peter attracting that, that miracle for him? What were the, what were the, um, the qualities of a disciple that made that miracle happen? And, you know, I think it will be nice to see what are the similarities and perhaps, uh, you know, what, what can learn from, for us too there. What we I... can learn. For us there. What can? can, All right. We're all losing English now before it's too late. I also appreciate this little, this, you know, this 
thing that master says here for a moment a wave of cold fear mm. passed through me at the unprecedented strangeness uh, often you'll hear people describing even in their meditations as you are you know as your consciousness begins to expand as you feel and recognize your sense of self being forced out of just the body the first in fact uh, experience that comes with it is that of fear the fear of kind of losing ourselves losing our self identity and in this particular case just the fear of realizing <laughs> that this world is not what it's meant to be or what it appears to be and it's a scary experience isn't it but to know that that fear is also just part of this process because the the ego is being challenged any time the ego is challenged whether materially or phys or spiritually fear is a part of that process but it also kind of fear also awakens in us this little kind of this desire to see what lies beyond it and we have to go break through that barrier and even in your own meditations even in your own spiritual search any time you experience that little fear try to really want to go through that barrier and see what lies beyond that fear and what lies beyond it of course is freedom ashri yukteswar a modern yogi christ reached the spot where the jain and i speech was speechlessly rooted master smiled at my friend and remarked i sent you a message too but you were unable to grasp it so we come back that full circle it wasn't that shri yukteswar was being partial towards yogananda saying let me send him a message and let me he probably sent a message to every disciple there was in the world <laughs> but it's like who's going to pick up my message is the question is the guru knows his job <laughs> the problem is that the disciple has no idea what to be doing but that attunement that shri yogananda had just made it so easy for him so instantaneously and i love that word he says this message was insistently entering into my mind it was almost as if there was a force because shri yukteswar's consciousness was as present a reality as yogananda's consciousness within him and so that consciousness was able to just say boom this is what you need to hear right now this is what you need to be paying attention to and that's how we need to become the guru that's the whole point of the disciple not to kind of fall at the guru's feet all the time and just kind of sit there waiting when is he going to kind of give me my little tidbit it's to become good the guru's consciousness but you have to start really tuning into it already it has to become a part of who you are so that then his thoughts become your thoughts and then there is no more difference and then you're not waiting for anything because every thought the guru is thinking is the thought that you are thinking the jain was silent but glared at me suspiciously after we had escorted our guru to his hermitage my friend and i proceeded towards serampur college the jain halted in the street indignation streaming from his every pore so master sent me a message yet you concealed it i demand an explanation <laughs> so typical isn't it <laughs> when we're unable to grasp anything when when we're when we're unable to figure it out it must be somebody else's fault <laughs> you know it's like acha my guru sent me a message and tune bataya nahi mujhe <laughs> you know you just told me ki terko message aaya but of course that wasn't the case is it we just need 
वी नीड टू फील दैट समथिंग्स नॉट रॉन्ग विद मी वी नीड टू फील कि मेरी गलती नहीं थी इस वे बट ऑफकोर्स देन योगानंद सेज एंड योगानंद हैज सच पावर इन हिज वर्ड्स कैन आई हेल्प इट इफ योर मेंटल मिर ऑसलेट्स विद सच रेस्टलेसनेस दैट यू कैन नॉट रजिस्टर आर गुरुज इंस्ट्रक्शंस एंड दैट्स द क्रक्स ऑफ वेयर ऑल ऑफ अस आर our mental mirror and why is it a mi- mirror because it's just reflecting this mirror that we have this mental mirror has the potential to reflect god's consciousness but it's just oscillating so many so much that it's unable to pick up and hold that reflection we are already reflections of god everything we do is in a, the truest sense as a channel of the divine even the worst thing that we end up doing is still god through us but because this mirror is unsteady we can't hold god's consciousness through us so we can only in spurts and moments and every now and then when that feeling comes where you just feel ah something good happened that was just that little moment where your mirror perhaps was not as restless just that moment that as your mirror was turning for a moment it did reflect that sun before it turned back towards the other direction and that's what's happening with our mental mirror it's it's just constantly oscillating and it's just reflecting back to us exactly what our consciousness is in that moment and as narayani said that's why meditation becomes key because meditation is essentially just holding that mirror still so if the mirror can be held still long enough it gets to you know receive that complete reflection the full picture begins to emerge but of course our meditations aren't as or at least not always able to hold that mirror still but if nothing else it's not wobbling crazily it's just wobbling a little bit now and little by little every day through our meditations that wobbliness will also subside until the mirror in fact does just hold and relax and is able to fully receive and then when it does that once then it makes it really easy because if you know what that feels like one time you can find it you can kind of string your way back to that moment to that experience maybe you want to finish and then i'll i'll add something else all right <laughs> the anger vanished from dijen's face I see what you mean he said ruefully well, good you know good for the jain to kind of instantly take it cuz not any of us would take any asani ho sakta hai my mirror is my mental mirror is just as clean as yours but please explain how you could know about the child with the jug by the time i had finished the story of master's phenomenal appearance at the boarding house that morning my friend and i had reached serampore college The account I have just heard of our guru's powers the jain said makes me feel that any university in the world is only a kindergarten What are you going to say I was thinking like so fascinating a little concept there Sri Uteshwar told Yogananda with words gave him an instruct an instruction meet me at the train at this time i mean it was it was very clear but then 
things happened, things changed. Uh, Sri Yuteswar couldn't give him any other instruction with words. So it was up to the disciple to adjust to the unexpected changes. And sometimes you may, we may receive a very clear intuition of this is what we must do. This is how the voice, the image, the intuition has come to me. This is how Swami Kriyananda told me I had to do it then. But from the time he told you to the moment you are right now in your discipleship, things have changed. And that instruction that he gave us, the Guru gives you, is still there. He's giving you the goal, but how you are going to be to reach there, it, it will be changed. We will need to adjust. We will need to express that intuition, that guidance differently. Perhaps we will need to go to other cities, to other countries. Perhaps we will need to do it differently. And it shows here the necessity of a disciple to adjust to newer instructions from the Guru. I think here between Yogananda and the other disciple, we see two different approach. Mm. The approach of the disciple that is open to adjust to whatever happens, who doesn't have, you know, an orthodox approach. This is how the scriptures say it needs to be done. And there is not space for fluidity, for adjusting, for bring creativity. So something else can happen to, to change things, to, to be guided differently. Uh, and I think that's something that the Guru will ask of us. Now I'm telling you to do it in this way, at this time, at this moment of your life, but perhaps in one year from now, um, you will still need to be doing this, but I want for you to, to do it differently, to approach to it differently, to explore other different ways. And it's going to be very important for us to, to have an open mind and not become too, um, how can rigid. I say, rigid in our way of receiving and dealing with intuition. Because here Sri Yuteshwar changed that instruction within half an hour. And it was up to Yogananda to be open to that unexpected message, that intuition, that guidance. So the path of discipleship, it's, it's a very tricky one that demands constant hope, openness and humility to always adjust to unexpected requests and situations. So don't complain when suddenly life is taking you to a different uh, situation or when is bringing into your life different experiences or different people that you didn't ask for. Because perhaps it's just the guru taking the form and using that situation to instruct you what's 
your next step. And it's going to be up to each one of us to listen carefully because we may not be as lucky as, you know, materializing Yogananda <laughs> to us and telling us what we need to do. But perhaps we will be fortunate enough to have our mind so calm that we'll be able to distinguish that in this person, in this situation, is indeed the voice of the Guru taking us to our next step. We thought we'd definitely finish <laughs> this chapter and move into the... We did finish the chapter, so, you know, we're making progress. But sometimes you think, oh, there's not that much in here, we'll just say a few words but it always ends up being oh there's actually a lot in here <laughs> that we didn't even even last night's reading did not give us these many thoughts mm -hmm. as reading yeah. it with you here today so to next saturday we will start the following chapter chapter 20 which is we do not visit kashmir 